Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It's great to have you with us another Wednesday evening, where we have the opportunity to reflect upon the life and thought of one Pope Francis. And as I do each and every Wednesday, I have uh, Bob Cross with me. So, Bob, it is great to have you with me another evening. Great to be here, Joe. Thank you. So, Bob, Pope Francis has been in the news on a number of different levels uh, what I want to talk about this evening and what I want to open up with is uh, an appointment he made. And uh, let me rephrase that. A couple of appointments he made as it relates to the Catholic Church's continued response to the sex abuse scandal, the pedophilia uh, scandal. Um, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Bob, when you were not with me. Actually, I was flying solo that evening, and we reflected upon um, some of the questions that are still lingering out there. And I thought it'd be good to kind of follow up out from what we talked about two weeks ago with this, and then also take up Benedict uh, the Sixteenth response to that. So, this is a recently, you know, published article. I think just today, two priests from the United States, one with ties to Chicago, and the other a veteran of the Boston Archdiocese, been named to key Vatican roles by Pope Francis in his cleanup effort with regard to the Church's child sexual abuse scandals. At the same time, Cardinal Sean O'Malley of Boston has also confirmed was also confirmed as president of a new anti-abuse commission created by the pontiff in December 2013. Prior to this point, the Vatican officially had described O'Malley only as a member of the commission, though behind the scenes he played key roles in its activities, including organizing a July 7th meeting for Francis with victims of abuse. The Reverend Robert Oliver, who served as a key advisor to O'Malley in Boston on issues related to the abuse crisis until 2012, has been named to the position of Secretary of the Anti-Abuse Commission, formerly called the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors. Oliver has been working in the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith for the past two years. He says, It's an honor to be able to help the Church show some leadership in the fight against child abuse, Oliver told Crux today in a telephone interview from Rome. Oliver said his duties in the near term will be helping O'Malley round out the membership of the Commission, especially bringing in people from places in the developing world such as Africa and Asia, and establishing working groups on matters such as mandatory reporting of abuse charges and formation of future priests to recommend policies to Pope Francis. The appointment effectively means that Oliver will run the Council's day-to-day operations and will serve as Chief of Staff for O'Malley and the other members of the Commission, who also include an abuse survivor from Ireland named Marie Collins. To fill the position vacated by Oliver, Francis has named Father Robert Geisinger, a Jesuit from Chicago uh, who has since 2001 served as a procurator general of the Jesuit order, making him the chief in-house advisor on matters of church law to the Jesuit superior in Rome. Geisinger is a well-regarded canon lawyer in Rome, who has frequently been called upon informally by other religious orders and bishops from various parts of the world to offer counsel on various matters of church law, including the response to abuse allegations. He has a deep knowledge of canon law and great rela- relationships with people all around the world, Oliver said of his successor. 
The dual appointments of Oliver and Geisinger, along with the confirmation of O'Malley, are likely to be seen as reinforcing the growing dependence of the Vatican on models of responding to the abuse crisis first worked out in the United States. The choice of Oliver in particular underscores the importance of O'Malley in shaping policy on the abuse crisis under Pope Francis, since Oliver was a trusted figure in Boston and remains in close contact with O'Malley today. This is a chance to address all the issues that have to do with the protection of children, not just Catholics, but children everywhere, Oliver said. that This is such a great problem all around the world, and it's important for the Church to be in the lead. Amen, and they have been. Baba, that's what's so striking. For all the discussions um, that I've been in, I know so many others have been a part of, it's important to see and to be reminded that the Catholic Church has been in the lead. It's interesting. (laughs) The whole program, No Child Left Behind, is modeled after the Catholic Church's response (laughs) to No Child Left Behind. You know, so it's just to say, hey, look at what the Church is doing. So as we're talking about this, Bob, I wanted to go to an interview. In 2010, Peter Sewald interviewed uh, then-Pope Benedict XVI, and uh, this was his question, and this struck me, and also his response, and you should hear echoes <laughs> of something we've already talked about from the joy of the gospel and Pope Francis in Benedict's response to this question. This is Peter Sewald. Anyone who followed the story of the pedophilia scandal in the mass media during those days must have had the impression that the Catholic Church is exclusively a system of injustice and sexual crimes. It was immediately said that Catholic teaching on sexuality and celibacy is directly connected with abuse. The fact that there were similar incidents in non-Catholic institutions faded into the background. The German criminologist Christian Pfeiffer reported that approximately 0.1% of those who committed abuse come from the personnel of the Catholic Church, 99.9% came from other areas. In the United States, a government report for the year 2008 lists the proportion of priests who were involved in cases of pedophilia at 0.03%. The Protestant Christian Science Monitor published a study according to which the Protestant denominations in America are affected by a much higher rate of pedophilia. Is the Catholic Church being watched differently and evaluated differently with regard to abuse? Benedict's response. Actually, you have already given the answer. If you look at the real statistics, that does not authorize us to look away from the problem or to minimize it. But we must also note that in these matters, we are not dealing with something specific to the Catholic priesthood or the Catholic Church. They are, unfortunately, simply rooted in man's sinful situation, which is also present in the Catholic Church and led to these terrible results. I think that is so important. We talked about it two weeks ago, Bob. You know, you, you look at these numbers, and I think it was 14% of all pedophilia cases um, come back to, to public school teachers. Okay, we're dealing with our human nature here. He goes on. However, it is also important not to lose sight now of all the good that comes about through the church, not to ignore how many people are helped in their suffering, how many sick people, how many children are assisted, how much aid is provided. I think that whereas we must not minimize the evil and must sorrowfully acknowledge it, by the same token, we must also still be grateful for how much light streams forth from the Catholic Church and should make that visible. It would lead to a collapse of entire sectors of social life if she were no longer there. Is this not exactly what Pope Francis said weeks ago? 
know, he said, hey, we can look at the negative, but let us be renewed, enriched with all of the great things that the Catholic Church does. Okay? Uh, and he goes on to reflect that as Benedict XVI about the importance of examining our sinful uh, situation. In essence, we talk about this because we must appreciate the larger picture, the bigger picture. It's been said, you know, if you're still Catholic, at least it's been said to me, well, Joe, don't you think Catholics have their head in the sand? Well, what do you mean by that? If, if you are telling me that I have my head in the sand because I'm looking away from the problem, no. Pope Benedict just spoke to it. Actually, if you don't look at the whole, just not the negative, but also the positive, <laughs> then you have your head in the sand. Look at all the great things that the Catholic Church is doing, and look at what the Catholic Church is doing in response to all of these pedophilia cases. As tragic as they are, and is not my intention in no way, shape, or form, Bob, to be insensitive to those who have been directly affected. I know a few people, and I pray for them, and, and they are on their journey back in reconciliation with the Catholic Church. But what it is to say, let not that thing that happens over there affect our faith. Let not another person's weaknesses dictate our call to love and enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, isn't it interesting that, you know, there was a great question that, um, that was asked of... of, of Seawald. Yeah, uh, yeah. Of Pope Benedict, um, uh, Meredith Pope Benedict. Uh, you know, that, you know, as the Catholic Church looked at differently, and, you know, with the statistics, it was a long question... Yeah. that he gave, he did. He just gave the answer. It is looked differently because, you know, everybody wants to, uh, you know, pigeonhole the Catholic Church as having, you know, this exclusive problem, which obviously is not the case, um, due to the fact that, you know, celibacy is such a huge topic when it comes to, um, um, you know, the clergy. And so, you know, our society would rather find blame and, and, and point fingers at the church because of that very very, um, you know, beautiful thing, you know, yeah. uh, celibacy that, and say that goes against human nature. So they must be, you know, all, um, you know, involved with abuse at some level or another. It was, it's just, it, it drives me crazy. You just have to look at it. And, you know, as it, it's, as it states here in this article that we talked about just a few minutes ago, mm -hmm. um, the church is actually leading the charge in terms yeah. of how to deal with abuse cases for not just the Catholic church, but, you know, other religions. Yeah. and other types of organiza organizations around the world. They just don't get the same publicity that the Catholic Church does. It's always to remember, Bob, when we are talking about the Catholic Church and the way people perceive the Catholic Church as kind of this institutional, punitive, authoritarian, she's first mother. And, and, and as a mother who's bringing her flock into the fold, she has to say, don't do this, don't do that, Okay. We all experience that in our everyday life. We make decisions based upon a right from a wrong or a wrong from a right. Uh, we say yes to things and no to things based upon a judgment we make, often an ethical judgment. So the, the church is simply saying, hey, okay, we are an heir, no question about it, and uh, we have to go through this purgation. But Jesus Christ established the church for a reason, to instruct, to guide, and to lead us closer uh, to his bosom, and we can never lose sight of that. And certainly that was the point Pope Francis was uh, making in uh, Joy of the Gospel. So with that, as we're talking about <laughs> saying no, uh, Pope Francis in this chapter two 
has been focusing on the saying yes to this and no to that. And this evening's subject matter, Bob, we have no to selfishness and spiritual sloth. And so in many ways, our reflections out from Joy of the Gospel will dovetail what we talked about last week. So this uh, paragraph 81, I, I'm afraid, Bob, that we have not made a very important point all these seven months of Seeds of Truth on Wednesday. And that's this. We have to allow the words of Pope Francis themselves, each and every sentence, each and every paragraph, to really permeate our heart. What he said in opening of the exhortation, where he talked about, you know, here I am writing an exhortation, it's another papal document, but this is different. What he's telling us, Bob, is I'm not going to use language that is abstract. I'm not going to use language that is difficult to understand. I'm going to use language that will help you better understand your faith. Not that he's saying all of these other encyclicals or exhortations or major papal documents are insignificant. No, they're very important to develop our understanding of a particular topic. But what he's saying is this is a document on the new evangelization. And the new evangelization is about making what is so incomprehensible comprehensible. So in light of that, please, please pay close attention. And so as we continue on and read these paragraphs, I want to really uh, draw the attention of draw the attention of our listener to the words themselves. What is Pope Francis saying? How is Pope Francis speaking to you, particularly uh, in where you are at in your journey of faith? Sure. You know, and without even realizing it, you know, if we've without, you know, addressing, you know, the obvious, like what you're just saying there, not the obvious, because it hasn't, hasn't really occurred to us, um, except in that every week it seems like we, we, take, we bring it into a personal level, or, or take it at a personal level, because it's written that way, as you yes. just stated. Yes. It's written personally to everybody, rather than just a general proclamation. Yeah. Amen. So I'll go ahead and read paragraph 81, okay, Bob? And this is, uh, again, from the Apostolic Exhortation, uh, Joy of the Gospel, uh, this is what Pope Francis has to say to us um, as he is giving commentary to this uh, no to selfishness and spiritual sloth. He says this, At a time when we most need a missionary dynamism, which will bring salt and light to the world, many lay people fear that they may be asked to undertake some apostolic work, and they seek to avoid any responsibility that may take away from their free time. For example... It has become very difficult today to find trained parish catechists willing to persevere in this work for some years. Here he is being so practical. I think this is speaking to a lot of people right now, just in that simple example. I mean, this is what we were talking about, Bob. He goes on to say, something similar is also happening with priests who are obsessed with protecting their free time. This is frequently due to the fact that people feel an overbearing need to guard their personal freedom as though the task of evangelization was a dangerous poison rather than a joyful response to God's love which summons us to mission and make us, makes us fulfilled and productive. Some resist giving themselves over completely, completely to mission and thus end up in a state of paralysis. Here again in this paragraph, Bob, he's challenged us to rethink how we think about the principle of freedom. Is it a license to do whatever we want to do? Or is it a license to do what we ought to do? And I'm not talking about the abuse of freedom in the culture of death, that culture where there's a complete and utter absence of love. I'm talking about what Pope Francis is talking about. 
those who are agents of evangelization and who guard their time. I've always said we are willing to give over a lot of things, a lot of material goods, but the one thing we guard, the one thing we hold back, Bob, is our time. That's the most precious gift. And this is what he's talking about. There's that beautiful reflection of Kronos and Kairos. Kronos is man's time. Kairos, grace time, God's time. Okay, we need, we need to allow Kronos, the chronology, what is linear, to be penetrated and overwhelmed, Bob, by Kairos, God's time. What do I mean? Well, if Kronos is putting into our iPads and planners what we're going to do tomorrow, then Kairos... <laughs> is penetrating and invading your world and suddenly changing what you're going to do tomorrow because God wants you to do something else. That's Kronos and Kairos. So what uh, Pope Francis wants us to see is that we need to start turning over that which we hold most dear, our time. And doesn't that speak, again, as we said earlier, to each and every one of us at a very, very personal level? Mm. I mean, can't we all relate to the fact that, oh, you know what, I'd really like to get involved with uh, you know, activities or ministries that's going on at the church, but gosh, I just don't have the time because I got, I got football to watch. You know, mm-hmm. I've, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have to go on play every, tennis. It's on every night now, right? Yeah, yeah. and it's that takes a lot of time watching every night. Yeah. but no, I mean it really is. It becomes a situation where we allow so many things, and you, you're a big advocate of how is it that we spend our time, mm-hmm. and are we spending our time in God's work, or are we spending time doing you know things that make us just Feel good. It doesn't mean that we can't have some downtime, but you know, Pope Francis is speaking very personally here about our ability to let our time just get away from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that most practical reflection, Bob, we've shared in the past. You know, there's 1,440 minutes a day. We sleep, sleep away approximately 440 minutes, which leaves us what? With 1,000 minutes. What are we doing with that 1,000 minutes? What are we doing with it? I mean, if we are devout, we're probably spending maybe 120, 150 minutes of those 1,000 minutes, and even then, that seems like it comes up short when you put it in the context of minutes, huh? You know, I mean, prayer is about courtship with God. So let those 1,000 minutes belong to God. Amen. Pope Francis goes on, and he says, so the problem is not always, though, an excess of activity, but rather activity undertaken badly without adequate motivation, without a spirituality which would permeate and make it pleasurable. I like that a lot. Without a spirituality which would permeate it and make it pleasurable. As a result, work becomes more tiring than necessary, even leading at times to illness. Far from a content and happy tiredness, this is a tense, burdensome, dissatisfying, and in the end, unbearable fatigue. So then he goes on and he continues in this paragraph, Bob, to talk about this kind of paralysis that overwhelms us because um, we are not taking up what God has given us well. We are not using our time well. Uh, We are not taking up these these tasks that God has entrusted us carefully, attention to the small detail, and he's calling us out for this. Okay, so God has entrusted us with certain tasks, huh, Bob? How are we performing these tasks? So in the realm of time, as we're talking about it, even when we are giving God our time, we're not really giving God our time, if you follow what I'm saying, because we're too uh, preoccupied with what's going to happen after we are done um, teaching this parish catechetical night, okay? Maybe uh, I've got uh, a ball game I'm going to tomorrow, and I'm kind of thinking beyond tonight into how I'm going to get from point A to point B. See, we're not present to the moment. 
not present to the moment. And this leads, as he talks about, to this kind of uh, paralysis. And he goes on, and, and I love this, Bob. He says, and so the biggest threat of all gradually takes shape. The great pragmatism of the daily life of the church in which all appears to proceed normally while in reality faith is wearing down and degenerating into small-mindedness. And then my favorite sentence of this section. A tomb psychology thus develops and slowly transforms Christians into mummies in a museum, disillusioned with reality, with the church, and with themselves. They experience a constant temptation to cling to a faint melancholy, lacking in hope, which in the end seizes their heart. Who you know, we don't hear this kind of thing on CNN, Bob, again. <laughs> You're not going to hear this kind of language, this kind of challenge in the drive-by media, and that's what it is. Let us never forget, Bob, this document is an apostolic exhortation. That means it is a document from our Holy Father that is going to directly challenge us exhortation, to challenge, and again, to challenge, provocatio, to call forth, to call out. Uh, What are we doing with this challenge? Are we allowing the words of Pope Francis to affect change within us? Well, and you you think about it, and it's the joy of the gospel and, you know, the, the entire exhortation that we've been covering all these months. And I have to think that Pope Francis right here is thinking about, you know, uh, from Scripture, the road to Emmaus. Mm. You know, when, when Christ, you know, appeared to the apostles who were dejected, walking back, you know, to, mm. uh, along the road to Emmaus, and he spoke to them until they were, the, the fire was burning Their hearts were burning within them. Hearts were burning within them. Mm-hmm. Within them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went back and they spread that good news, that mm-hmm. gospel message to the, uh, the rest of the disciples. And again, it's the joy of the gospel, and it's how we go about, you know, expressing our, our, our faith and our love. And, you know, if we're not doing it with a certain amount of zeal and ardor and, and excitement, you know, it, it's just going through the motions. We become like those zombies, not zombies, <laughs> excuse me, mummies. Yeah. yeah, I'm Pope Francis, if he was from North America, would probably use a zombies yeah, reference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In bringing into our discussion the road to Emmaus, which I really appreciate, Bob, what you bring back into this discussion is so important, and that's the personal encounter. If we're going to be able to respond to the challenge, it's only going to come out from that personal encounter with Jesus Christ. In our birth, it's, it's as if our birth says to us, now you are, so live your life. What does that mean? Well, that means that we must accept not only, Bob, the strong points that we are about, but also the weaknesses. Not only the possibilities, but also the limitations. And as Romano Gardini notes, and I love this, for we strange human beings are so constituted that what supports us also burdens us. What brings us security also endangers us. Every mode of being has a positive side and also a negative, and we cannot select. Okay, what is Romano Gardini saying there? And what are we talking about? You know, what is this whole, you know, strengths, weaknesses, um, this juxtaposition of these negatives and positives? Well, we cannot be all things to all people. We are who we are. And so let us not carry on mindlessly. And as he notes, Pope Francis, in this myopia, let's see bigger picture. Let us see that we are social beings, Bob, and that we have a role and a call 
to go out there and make a difference. Let us not get so entrapped in our selfishness and our spiritual sloth and our four hours or eight hours or how many hours of Xbox you play or football games that you watch. You know, let us start to see that there's a greater vocation that we have, and we have the duty to respond to that vocation with a heroic yes. And sometimes that means, Bob, saying no to one thing so that we might say yes to another thing. Because again, behind every no is an immeasurable greater yes. And as we, we noted earlier, you know, one of the greatest you know, things that we put value on is our time. And if that's the case, then what better way to spend our time than with the love of Jesus Christ? We're, we're, we're created as loving, loving beings. Mm. And, and if we're not in that space, whether it's evangelizing, uh, catechizing, you know, reading scripture or, or spreading the good news, mm-hmm. you know, then it's, it's, it's going through the motions again. Yeah. So yeah, we take up this task of seeing that each moment, each uh, present moment is literally a gift from God and that we are to seize this, Uh, which means also, Bob, that we need to identify uh, the lies in our life. We need to be able to look in the mirror and say, okay, uh, this is what I need to do better. This is what I need to be better at in my life. Uh, This is part of the strengths and the weaknesses. This is part of that letting go and allowing God in. Um, because the more vulnerable we become, the more God uses us. And we need to enter into that. And, and in many ways, uh, selfishness and that slothfulness is, a, is the outgrowth of that unwillingness to surrender, that unwillingness to become vulnerable. And that, again, in so many ways, is what Pope Francis is talking about. <laughs> and in the end, we need to rekindle this sense of living relationship with, with God so that Satan does not rob, as he puts it, the joy of evangelization. Which in the end, Bob, means that we cannot allow our own personal drama to affect what we are called to do. You know, it is so easy to get sidetracked with all of the busyness from going uh, from point A to point B, and then from point B to point C, picking up this child and that child, taking our oldest child to a ball game at the same time, making sure that someone's picking up our youngest child. All of these things that we got going on each and every day, we need to harness our schedules so that we are making more time available for God. And in doing so, we will see, Bob, that our schedule that is so busy can actually be a day offered to God and ultimately a prayer to God. Amen. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth. Heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program, 
or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.